When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I'm talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed worldwide, according to Indeed data. Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 million monthly unique visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and an extended reach through Glassdoor. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Hack It Out. Just go to Indeed.com slash Hack It Out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Hack It Out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Myself, Andrew Stagner. Today, no Greg Chalmers. He's playing in some rinky-dink golf event that no one's ever... He's playing at On The Beach or something. Yeah, Pebble, Pebble Beach. He's playing with Pebbles On The Beach. Yeah, I thought, well, this is the podcast, Greg. What are you, what are you doing that for? Like, he's... come on. Like, calls himself a pro golfer. Like, getting the monthly medal or something. So it's just me and Lou. Yeah, just and the two we... of us. Hey, Lou, and we are going to be answering a few of your questions. Thanks to everyone who joined in on Twitter, hitting up with questions that you want us to address in today's podcast. So really looking forward to today's episode. You playing with Pebbles on the beach this week, Lou, or not? I am not. Uh, <laughs> uh, Greg, his priorities are out of line. They're out of whack. Oh, you should be so here with out, us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unbelievable. I'm Honestly shocked. Like playing like what is he doing playing golf some of us got to work for a living exactly i will be uh, i will be rooting him on uh this week so it'd be, yeah, it'd be amazing good luck at pebble beach greg, good luck at pebble beach greg uh, we we, I, we didn't come through with getting the hack it out logo on his shirt i didn't, didn't i was gonna happen. say i hope he's i hope he's got a hack it out golf shirt on I'll be disappointed if he hasn't, or if he's in yeah. contention, if he doesn't shout that out, like when he is 18, second shot in the 18, maybe third shot. I'm not sure if he's reaching 18 or two. <laughs> Sorry, Greg, that's a joke. His third shot and it's in the air. Hack it out, golf podcast. He can yeah. just shout that and everyone will be, what? Hack what out? What's he saying? He's, had, he's hacked what out of where? I, yeah, I want to send him a text on, message and say for any uh, any interviews that he does, he has to he has to work hack it out into the interview as many times as possible. So let, totally. let's. Uh, totally. I'll text him I, that, and I'll, I'll see if he'll, if he'll if he'll accommodate us. So. Absolutely, <laughs> I think that's a must. That's, that's the least he owes us. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> owes us. He owes us. <laughs> he owes us. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start with some questions and loads of great questions. Um, first question on Twitter from Ed was about the cost of equipment spiraling out of control in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, as golf becomes more popular, he says, um, memberships start to increase. 
is golf getting a bit borderline out of control with its cost uh, compared to other sports? It's a good and fair question. And I'm going to kick this off just with an interesting point that I noted when I went to Dallas recently. And I've never really thought about this much when I've played in America, but and it's obviously different in different areas. But the way golf is set up in America, because I have no idea if Ed's in the UK or in America, is so different to the UK. Um, Lou, it's unbelievable. Like you have no middle or not many, it felt like middle ground courses. You have full public, which can range from average to decent and overplayed to not, subject to where they are. And then you have like these full private, like beefers that are like serious investments to be a member of, from what I could see. Where in the UK, you know, we have good courses that you would play, pay certainly in my area and Devon would be one of the cheaper areas you pay two thousand pounds so let's call that two and a half thousand dollars to be a member for the year and you play as much as you want I mean you divide that by 52 weeks it's not too crazy um what are your thoughts are you aware that it's so different here to there for being a member of a club yeah I was not aware that it's so different but I think you know, we have the same differences in cost in different parts of the United States, depending on where you are. And I've yeah. lived in a few different states. And, you know, I currently live in a state, New Jersey, where the cost of golf is significantly more expensive than other places I've lived. Um, so I think, um, you know, even here in the same country, we find uh, a huge variance in cost, depending on where you are. But, you know, as far as equipment goes, and I'm trying to find it, I posted this um, I had some maybe a year ago or so, um, and people always talk about equipment costs spiraling out of control. And I have um, a, a stack. I have stacks and stacks of old Golf Digest magazines. And yeah, if you remember, way back that. in the day, there there was always full page ads in there from different golf shops. Uh, like Edwin Watts was always a very common one. But I have yeah. I, I have Golf Digest that I and I I know I posted a picture of this from like the late seventies and there were drivers back then in the late seventies that were, you know, don't quote me on these prices uh, exactly what they were, but they were three, $400 ish, sometimes a little okay. bit more. And when you costed them out uh, and you put them in today's dollars, um, you know, they were as expensive or more expensive than the typical driver sold today. So golf equipment has always been very pricey. Um, it, it's that's not a new thing. Um, we can go back to any golf digest from years and years gone by and I can find an ad and you'll see just how expensive equipment used to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I would agree with that. I, 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 I don't remember irons. I, I would buy the Mizuno irons or the ping irons of the day when I was younger. So let's say 30 years ago kind of ideas. And they were 500 quid, like 30 years ago, 500 quid is probably not far off where prices of irons are now without me doing any inflation um, right. research. Um, and I might be way off there. I've not, again, I've not particularly studied it. I'm actually going to type into Google, as I feel, 500 pounds worth 30 years ago to today. I'm sure Google will just tell me that inflation calculator. Can't believe I'm doing this live, but I am. Um, I'm accepting cookies as we go. Um, 
what would your good service be? Five hundred pounds in nineteen fifty is the first option it's given me. No, that's 19... I, that's rude. Nineteen ninety five. Uh, yeah, so basically, five hundred pound in nineteen ninety is the equivalent in the UK of one thousand two hundred pounds now, which is about where iron sets are. They might be a bit more expensive because Batman might have been like five to sandwich. Um, I do remember a jump in drivers. Callaway was the first company that really jumped drivers. So, as in, lots of members at our club would have drivers for 50, 60, 70 pounds, decent drivers. Then Callaway came out, Metal Words, everyone wanted a Callaway. And I distinctly remember them being 200 quid and 250 quid and 300 quid. And it was like, well, that's quite a different amount of money compared to what we're used to uh, in drivers. But I mean, at the end of the day, golf's always been a bit elitist, isn't it? So it's kind of, it's always been a bit expensive. And the other thing as well, which I always think was interesting with this, I've done loads of videos using box sets. Do you know what a box set is? Do you have them in the UK, in America? So, you know, What's a hundred pound you get, you get everything, bag, putter, wedges. Oh, yeah, items. yeah, yeah. I've never you know, a beginner set. Yeah, sure. We call it a box set because it comes in a box. <laughs> it's a bit literal, that. Um, but um, we play video. We have done videos. We play nine hours of box sets, and we have as much fun as we do when we play with proper clubs. Uh, and I always say in those videos, if I wanted to play golf, if golf was my jam and I wanted to do it, price wouldn't stop me like that i would just use a box set if it got me playing so i understand what you're saying i mean golf clubs are ridiculously expensive but again i've done my inflation calculator here 250 pound driver in 1990 is the equivalent of 600 pound now so let's say a, a callaway in 1990 and i don't quote me on any of these dates as i'm literally plucking here 199 in 1990, equivalent to today's money, is £481, which is basically how much modern drivers are. So I'm not sure it's going up. And there are still plenty of cheap options. It's just that people are... Do you know what the biggest thing that's changed, Lou? What? Before history is written... It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Well, the marketing is so much better and aggressive and stronger now, and it's so much easier for the message of equipment to get out than it used to be. So for equipment messages to get out back in 1990, you would either have to be buying golf magazines and looking at ads or their horrendous reviews, or you would be going to ask a pro, but you'd only be going to ask a pro if you were a member of a golf club. If you weren't a member of a golf club, you'd walk into a shop and probably try and get out there as quick as possible because you felt uncomfortable. So what happens now is the marketing is so much more aggressive, and I would argue slightly slicker across many other channels, is that maybe it's more desirable rather than it's more expensive might actually be the truth. I don't know. What do you think? That's one way to look at it. Um, I don't know if you can see what I, what I have here, but I have a, you can't see it listening, but I have a, a binder. Um, and this is the 1978 uh, editions of Golf Digest. 
and I'm yeah. going through them and I'm, I'm finding some ads here as, as we're looking at them. Um, and uh, let's see what it's, it's I'm doing this on the fly, but it, it is, uh, let's see, I know there's another one right here. I'm trying to find a good one. Uh, what's, what's interesting is golf balls, I think were more expensive back then than they are now. I think the price of golf that balls, doesn't, that doesn't have come surprise down. me because well, they probably are mass produced more successfully nowadays, I, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, there's I think a lot so. more competition as well. Competition drives that. Probably I mean, a lot was... easier to make uh, modern balls than uh, balada balls that were wound and yeah. had to go on a machine yeah. and wind them around. A lot more that Definitely. goes into them. Uh, so I'm looking at, uh, there's some drivers here that were two nineteen ninety five. Two forty dollars $220. This is $1978. $20. So let's call yeah. that 180 quid. Bad mass. When 1990? This is 1978. Okay, 1978. Equivalent nowadays is 1,100 pounds. Yeah, that's so it's it's um and that's about what you pay for drivers over there now around that or do you pay less no, than that? No, drivers 400 to 500 Okay, pounds, yeah. yeah. So that yeah, there's um the significant difference in, in price. So um, I don't think equipment has gone up significantly. I think actually equipment, when you really look at it, um, it's cheaper now than it used to be for the most part. Yeah. But uh, another point that he makes, which is a good point as well as his question, I think his question is a good question, is, you know, is it a little bit, it's becoming, not that it's becoming out of hand because maybe it was always out of hand, but if we want to be more encouraging of lots of different groups of people playing golf, does the price barrier stop people? I mean, it, it does because sure. I, I'm not, I'm not going to go skiing to see if I like it. Cause I don't want to go and spend that money to do that. There's no snow here. I have to go abroad. I have to hire everything. I, I'd rather just not break my knee. Um, if skiing was in Exeter where I live and I could go and it was like 10 quid to try it, I probably would go. I mean, cost plays a part of everything so maybe the costs are a bit too expensive for encouraging people to play but i do think you can do it cheaply as well ebay is a great place i get i got loads of good drivers that i've tested constantly on youtube from ebay that perform as good as modern day drivers and they're costing me like 40 quid a driver um so i think you can be creative would be fair i agree is with that, that fairly? Yeah. yeah i, I think that's i think that's creative. fair yeah. Okay. Good question. Next question from Sean. He's asking, talk, uh, taking score out of it. What is the most enjoyable round of golf you've ever had? Should we put less on scoring and more on experience stroke friends? Question mark. Great question from Sean. My favorite rounds of golf was when I played with my eldest daughter who doesn't really play anymore because um, she's partying now. She's a full on <laughs> teenager. Yeah. Um, and my mum and dad, like that, I just really enjoyed him. We'd go on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, nine holes, that's all we needed. Yeah. Right. I can't, I can't, I can't be on a golf course with mum and dad for more than nine holes too often. <laughs> Love you, mum and dad. Uh, that's great. <laughs> There's a limit to how many times I can be asked the same question about why they don't chip it close and all that kind of stuff. But they were fun. I loved those rounds of golf, were really wholesome. So for me, it used to all be about score and the social side of it would have been okay. And there was times where I wanted it to be social, but really it was about being as good as I can be. Now for me, it's all social. And I just want to play to a half decent standard. Like I want to not hit a ball along the ground kind of standard. Lou, your favorite round? 
Uh, I would I would answer it very similar to you. There's one that really jumps out when I heard the question. Uh, my dad and I went and played uh, a golf course uh, about an hour away from our house. This is when I was younger, uh, probably 25 years ago, and it was just a great day. It was a fun course. We had a great time. Um, so that is one of the most enjoyable rounds that I that I had. Um, and then I used to play a lot of uh, golf after work on weekdays with a couple of guys uh, and we would meet up uh, and we would be out there until dark. We would, we would hit shots until we couldn't see anymore. And yeah. those were always a blast. Always had a great time uh, playing those rounds. And, and um, you know, I think the second part of his question, we, we didn't really address. And I think that's the most important part of his question is should we put less on scoring and more on experience yeah. and friends? Um, and I, and in my opinion, I, yes, uh, I don't play I golf agree. for a living. Um, I don't get, uh, you know, I'm not making, I'm not feeding my family by my ability to play golf. I think we all want to play great golf and we all want to shoot the best scores we can. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're probably in that camp where you want to shoot the best scores you can, but I think the experience and being out there and having fun is, is, you know, far outweighs the score that you shoot and, you know, letting you as a golfer be defined by the score that you shoot, um, I, I think is a bad recipe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, but again, at the same time in defense, you know, if, if it is, I know lots of people use it for that competitive edge, they sure. stop another sport and yeah. that, if that's what lights your lemon, definitely. Uh, I, I definitely seeing more, more, the more I work with amateurs and the emphasis is more on the enjoyment. It moves away from the grind. You definitely see their enjoyment levels as a general rule go up, but yeah, and don't, you know, don't definitely. get me wrong when I'm out there playing almost every time You're I'm serious, playing, aren't you? I'm, I'm, I'm dead. Serious. You're on I, it. I have a, 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 contractor level measuring device for my putts. I'm, I'm pretty serious. Uh, so I'm trying to shoot the best scores that I can. Um, but yeah. I, I recognize that having fun is a, is the most important part of the game for just about everybody. I think. Yeah. Well, the game is one of the big words there, isn't it? So yeah, very good. This is a great question from Adrian and question number three. I like this question. Um, everyone is sending us these questions on Twitter. For anyone listening who doesn't follow us on Twitter, I'm at Full Golf Online. Lou, what's your handle? At Lou Stagner, I think. Yeah, at it? Lou Stagner. And a big, big thank you to all the questions that came in. We, we got a number of questions publicly, a number privately. We're not going to get through all of them, uh, but there are so many great questions in here that Mark and I, as we reviewed them, there are. There are some full questions episodes, here that are going to be full episodes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Totally. So thank you. Thank you again for all the contributions. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. So Adrian's contribution here is a great question. How do you encourage, how do you encourage people to play off shorter tees without insulting them? It's such a good <laughs> I, question, isn't uh, it? I feel seen. <laughs> yeah. I feel so seen. So for me, I've never really had this problem much because generally when I'm on the course with someone and this sounds, but I'm generally in control because I'm the coach. They've come to be looked after by me and I'll just say, we're playing from here. And if they questioned it, so I don't, I, I get the question, but I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't see it. I, I would have definitely personally, but maybe I'm a little bit, maybe my 
I want to be friends with people barometer is way off because I don't really care. I, I've got no problem telling people if they ask me what teas they should go off. I don't think I would ever go up to someone and tell them they're off the wrong teas. If I owned the golf course or I was a golf steward or I was the pro at that club and I could see that it was going to cause problems for today's flow of the round, I would absolutely do it. But I would never do it on a social level. Like if we played and you said, let's go off the 8,000 yard tees, I would just say to you, well, why do you not want fun? Let's, can't we just go off the six sixes and have fun? Like I'm about six, six, seven thousand, seven, two at the most. But I mean, I've played 8,000 courses and to be fair, they were really fun. I played Ross Bridge, uh, Bridge in Alabama, 8,400 off a guess. I think it wow. was, is how long it was. And we played it from the tips. Wow. And all that happened, all that happened is I hit drive a hybrid, drive a hybrid, drive a freewood. Yeah. Drive a hybrid, and I had a driver, a three wood, and a seven iron into a par five. Like it was fun for the experience. It was like going to Disneyland a little bit, that kind of idea. I, I would never, you know, I if I did it again, I would do it again at Rossbridge because it's kind of why you go there. But I would never do it at a course that you know, if it measured seven eight and there were seven thousand six eighties out there, yeah, let's we just play from there. Like, I don't. I don't want to be just making the fairway today. It's just no fun. So, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What about you, Lou? Do you tell people what taste they should be on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tweet about this. I don't tell people. I encourage them to play tees that are appropriate for their skill level and how far they hit the ball. Um, and I think that's, uh, I think it's an important part of the game. I see far too many people playing golf courses uh, at far too long of a distance for their skill level. And I, I just recently posted some data around this. Um, and this was uh, Arcos data. And I'll see if I can, I can quickly find this tweet as, as I'm talking. But it was... Go, go on. Go ahead. I can feel it if you want. Yeah, I've got yeah. a point about tees as you look yeah. for that data. Basically, what we notice as well, which is really interesting and can get really confusing in a day's flow, when we go and film and play a busy course, you've got to move with the pace of play. And we're holding a camera, so we're really conscious that people will be looking at us thinking, oh, they're holding us up because they're doing something golf different. Uh, we don't hold people up, but you know, anyway. Um, we will play, let's play, we're playing off to 6,600, 6,700 yards length course we've got people behind us who are playing off the 5900 length course and this causes a problem for the flow of play because when you're playing off a course which is 6000 yards let's say you're in a drive 150 and your second shot goes 70 yards and 80 yards what we find is that the group behind us can be 40 yards behind us when they're on the green like they're 40 yards, really close, basically. Right. Yep. But we're hitting a 200 yard shot into that club. So you can into that hole. So you can imagine we're not moving at the same pace. So I'm not saying we're taking longer because the course is longer. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that 
if you just play a hole that's 400 yards long and they're playing it in three shots every time, if their third shot is always from 20 yards, what you find when we're putting, they're literally 20 yards away from us. It's yeah. so odd. Where it. When it's a 400-yard hole, if we're hitting a 200-yard shot and a 200-yard shot, we're never closer than 200 yards or 150 to the people in front. So they don't sure. feel as pressured. So what happens with tees, which is another interesting part, if people aren't playing off equivalent tees and also similar tees, you definitely see bunches go up as well. Because what happens is we get on a 500-yard par five. Guess what? We have to wait for the green. Yeah, They're playing three or four shots. So we've had situations where they're literally... 10 yards behind us stood sure. by their ball waiting to hit their next 100 yard shot no pressure They're waiting well no i pressure. don't care because i don't feel pressure from like, i don't i don't because parfield never run. feels pressure well i'm not that kind of pressure like they're just having a nice little every day but what i always think is really interesting is i i don't say anything to them. i just think why are you trying to get so close to us like just don't hit your shot just wait like yeah just wait um but it's always a really interesting one because people talk about the basic play and i think well if you watch this it's really so sometimes basically when we're on a course full of normal recreational golfers so let's say on holiday when we go on some of the trips we go on we are hitting it much further than the average person out there and what happens is we don't fit in because we're waiting they're not waiting on the 220 yard par three because they only hit it for 150 off the tee right so they get on the tee and they're like oh we're waiting well yeah, because I can reach this green. It's a par three. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting one with tees as well, which I think is a tricky one to manage. Go on, Luke, back to your article. So I, I found it. So I posted this uh, recently, and uh, the USGA, this is their Tee It Forward campaign that started back in 2011. Um, and they tried to give, they gave guidelines for players based on how far they hit the ball. And they said, this is this is the length golf course you should play given how far you hit the ball. And their guidelines, if you average 225 off the tee, so 225 yards off the tee, if that's your average with driver, they recommend that you play a golf course between 5,800 and 6,000 yards right now. So, and so I looked at Arcos uh, and I found all of the players that have a median driver distance of 220 to 230 yards. So I grabbed yeah. five yards either way. Yeah. 41% of rounds were played at 6,300 yards or longer, which is wow. crazy. And, and so here, and so I've, I had this conversation with somebody and they said 6,000 yards, like I hit a 225 and 6,000 yards is way too short for me. And yeah, I went, is it, is it really? Um, so on the PGA tour, let's just say to make the math easy that they hit a 300 yards off the tee, which is right about what, what the average is on PGA tour. That's 75 yards longer than you over the course of 14 holes. If we take 14 and multiply it by 75, that gives us what 750 plus 300. That's 1,050 yards, right? That's 1,050 yards longer. They hit their tee shots, and a <laughs> lot of the golf courses that they play um, are under 7,000 yards. You know, about 20% last year under 7,000 yards. Uh, the median yeah. distance is about 7,200 yards. Average is also about 7,200 yards. So if we just look at tee shots only, they're about 1,050 yards longer than you. That doesn't 
take into consideration the fact they also hit all of their irons longer than you. So you playing yeah. a 6,000 yard golf course is very much like a PGA tour playing it from, we'll call it 7,250, 7,300 yards, which is right about, uh, well, that's actually even a little bit longer than what they typically play. So that's a, it's a really good guideline. And I don't see enough people following that. And what I generally do is if I'm playing with somebody that's a lot shorter, I have no problem playing forward tees. I, I go up there with them. I don't play my back tees and have them play. like if I was playing with you as a shorter hitter, we would be on the floor. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I would Here encourage you go. to move up and, and play the short. I was waiting tees. for that. <laughs> I think in answer to Adrian's question is that education and the systems in place at clubs need to be clearer and better to help people make more educated decisions so you don't have to run the danger of insulting people because it's not insulting if everyone knows clearer facts on what is expected and if you know what is expected so me as a junior because i've made this point before i would have been an outlier i would have been playing a course that was when I used to go and play in tournaments as a 15, 14 year old off scratch, I was playing courses, which were 7,000 yards, six, eight, six, seven with wind. They were too long for me, but I was able to compete on them because I would exceed in other levels. So you were always going to find outliers, but I was very aware if someone was to say to me, why are you playing off these tees? I would say, well, because I'm off scratch. So I, I can, I've got the abilities to play off these tees, but thanks for pointing out. I wouldn't feel offended. I would understand why they might see a junior and think you can't go off those tees. Like what's going on. That never happened because all the, you know, you're turning up for a tournament. So everyone knows why you're there. So no one would question the tees, but so in a I practice a, round. For instance, I have a question. So it, is it true at uh, St. Andrews? I've never played there, but at St. Andrews, if you want to play a certain set of tees, don't you have to show uh, your, your handicap and prove that you're a good, is that true or false? I sure. don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it is. I hope it is. I mean, yeah. it's the home of golf and you've got, they've done loads of studies, the RNA, it's the, the RNA are based there. Uh, and I would imagine they're very forward thinking in that kind of, um, you know, realm and they want their course to flow. It's a yeah. busy day getting on that. So they don't want people getting stuck. So I'm hoping they do do that. I've played loads of practice rounds at courses when with our camera and because I've got a camera that they don't particularly know if we can play, they just see us sometimes as a journalist. So they don't even know right. we're going to play. And we go, oh, we're going to go off these tees. And they're like, well, are you sure you won't go off those tees? And then as soon as they see us hit the ball, they're like, oh, no, yeah, you stay off those tees. Um, I would never be offended by that. But in answer to Adrian's question, I just think it's about education. The more people can be educated. Clubs and courses can educate the people who come through when they book their tea time, when they pay for their green fee. There should be that level of education. So you don't have that. So I, I take it when you're moment. when you're in that situation, you don't let uh, that Rory, that's his name, Rory, you, you don't let him hit first, right? Because I've seen some of his tee shots and they're like, <laughs> if I saw him off the back tees and I was that guy, you know, you're, you got your camera. I'd be like, no, you guys got to move up. Like you have, what are you doing? You can't be back there. <laughs> Rory you, loves you, the back. Team. have you guys Don't, ever Rory it's as far as any other seven handicapper he loves yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> sorry Rory <laughs> uh, you know the, the one thing that I, I do say around this is the USGA they give guidance on how far you hit the ball um, I personally think the guidance should be around uh, your skill level and, and what you score and the thing I've put have put out in the past and this is just my opinion and a rough estimate but 
whatever tees you're playing, if you're not breaking 80, 20% of the time, at least 20% of the time, you should move up um, and keep yeah. moving up until you can break 80, 20% of the time um, and learn how to score, have more fun. And then as you get better, uh, as you get better, you'll probably get longer Then you, then what, you can start to move. What I, don't, what I don't understand about that is why have we got a handicap system then? If I'm playing off tees and I'm shooting 95, well, I'm still shooting under my handicap. Why do you want me to move up? Uh, because 95 is too high in my opinion. And, and I don't want that to sound the no, wrong way. I, 25, I, I don't want that to come handicap. across the wrong way. If you're playing 65, if you're, if you're shooting 95 from 5,200 yards and you hit the ball 210, uh, great. Uh, that's fine. But if you're playing from 6,600 yards and you're putting 95s to 110s on the board, which I can look at the data from Arcos and see that's happening so often. You're playing a golf course way, way, way too far for your skill level and how far you hit the golf ball. And I, to me, in my opinion, I think that's a, that's a not the ideal way to play. And I get that people always push back and say, I'll do what I want as long as I keep up and, and that's what I'm going to do. And I, and I get that, uh, but I see it very differently. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I see it both ways, to be fair. And I, I the people pushing back there, I would agree with them as long as they're keeping up. They've got every right to play off the tees they want to. I also agree with you as well. I see lots of students and amateurs not having as much fun as they should have. And they they're, they're, they play off the tees they think they're meant to. So I think it, it well, definitely you have works this, both ways. You have... But 95 is not a bad score if I'm but... a 28 handicap. I'm, I've beaten you. If you're yeah, off what... scratch and we play a 7,000-yard course and I shoot 95 and you shoot six uh, 77 i beaten you i'm well, off 28 I'm, i win I'm, see you later listen, you want to move up bro because i've just wiped the floor <laughs> with you that's I'm the beauty not... of golf you've got a handicap system and i'm off 28 and yeah. i've gone off to seven thousand yard tees missed the long dog and i've wiped the floor with him <laughs> you have i'm not surprised at some Ooh, of your opinions shall are... i move up tees yeah. Oh, I've won four and three. Should I go up more? <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised at some of your opinions on this topic, given how short you hit the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can't no, wait for us to... I'm not 100% agreeing with you there. I get it. I definitely would do that as well as a development idea for students. But uh, 95, in my opinion, I know that's a good score, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion. And you play off It is a good score. Yeah, it's it's a great score. But if you're off I, 28 handicap, yeah. that's a great score. If you're yeah, 25 handicap, sure. if you average 95 off 25 handicap and you're playing a par 72, you're well, you're not off 25 handicap anymore, are you? Yeah, you're not a 25 handicap anymore. Exactly. You're playing a par 72. But I am moving yeah. up. Yeah, go. we're gonna right. we're gonna come to blows this one. we are we are gonna come to blows i can't wait for us to play later uh in the year it's gonna, <laughs> no, be, a it's lot gonna of fun. be fun definitely so good question adrian thank you um right tim next second to last question here how much an advantage if any is having less club in from the same distance i.e do longer hitters have an advantage on a par three versus a shorter hitter because they hit less club Great question, Tim. It's a common idea and question. Lou, your thoughts on that one? Do longer hitters? Let's take a 200-yard par three. I'm in a three-wood. You're in a seven-iron. Uh, um, do you know why it's easier or not? Do you know the science behind why it would be easier or not? I don't want to put you on the spot. It doesn't matter if you don't. Well, I was going to start talking at it from a different angle first. Go for and, it. and so yeah. 
Well, one, I think one way to think about this is generally longer hitters are longer for a reason. And that reason is oftentimes they're just better players um, and better players have more skill. Uh, they have a more efficient swing, generates more club head speed. They hit the ball in the center of the face more, which is also a contributor to distance. And so they're just, they're just longer, but you know, all things being equal, if you can be a longer hitter and you start to, you know, get off in the rough, uh, and you can have a shorter club with more loft and more spin and more of a descent angle, um, even you know from the fairway. Um, those things make a difference, especially in totally. certain types of conditions. So, you know, being a longer hitter and is and having shorter clubs in is a big advantage. It can be a big advantage. Um, and so, I, I know you have a lot more you want to add on this around the, the science of it, but that's kind of my initial take. Yeah, well, I like the fact, I mean, you're totally right there, land angle. I mean, we, I call it the, um, the tree of doom. When you the do, tree when of you do doom. the tree of doom, we joke and call it sometimes. So basically, when you do a gap testing, you see the tree of doom branching out as you get further and further away from the T. So people generally hit wedges, short and long dispersion, left and right is tiny. Nine irons, short and long dispersion, left and right, a little bigger, but not big. Seven irons, dispersion left and right increases, short and long increases sometimes, whatever. Three wood, left and right, really increases, short and long increases. Driver, walk, so it just basically just keeps branching out. If you look at anyone doing a gap test, you'll apart from really skilled players, you just see them branch out. But even skilled players, I've got a tool where I can drop tour averages from different distances onto a hole onto google maps if you like and what happens is wedges it's like down a funnel and then if you drop it from 200 yards they're now missing left and right you know they are missing it branches out for everyone and it's good old-fashioned d-plane you can't get away from it so basically the more loft you have on the club the harder it is to tilt the spin axis of the golf ball certainly to the right so to fade it, it's just physically harder. So what happens is you just generally hit straighter with more loft. Um, so if I've got a seven iron and you've got a three wood, if we both hit it the 10 foot, you take in D plane, you take in land angle, that three wood is by far a better shot than that seven iron. But in the world of strokes gained, they're going to be seen as exactly the same if they land in exactly the same spot. Well, the only thing I'm going to push back on and disagree with yeah, is more, yeah. more loft. So in my experience, more loft means it's, it's easier to hit it on the hosel. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, that's the only caveat I would add to what you just said. Personal experience yeah. there. It's an interesting question because for people who know the answer to this one, and I always think what's interesting, we got people who know the answer to this question, think the question is silly. Like, how can people not understand that? But people see a 200-yard par three and they just think it doesn't matter if I'm hitting a five iron or a nine iron. If you're hitting it at 10 foot, I'm hitting it at 10 foot. Well, you are, but the amount of times you're going to hit it to 10 foot or 30 foot or 20 foot with those two clubs is going to be very, very different. And that is shown across amateur data in all handicap categories and it's shown across pro data because at the end of the day as the face gets straighter it's much easier to tilt the spin axis of the ball think of tilt axis as if you're putting hook or slice spin on it 
you basically just have to be so much more precise with the angles you deliver. So you've got more of a leeway of delivery with a lofted club, meaning you're going to be more accurate. You've got very small margin of errors with a driver. So if you ever face one degree open to a path with a driver, it will be significantly different amounts of curve to if you ever face one degree open to a path with a wedge. What if that you lose a face nine facts. degrees open? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it was the same. It would be considerably worse with oh, the driver yeah. than it would with It is. It is. <laughs> Four right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So basically, it is loads easier. And this is one of the big things that really clicked with me and my content when I started looking at strokes gain more and we did a few videos I've talked about it before where we were how would Rory and Brooks Kepka I think I think we did DJ and Rory how would they play this hole so we played the hole me and Matt I film with we play the hole and wherever we hit the ball we moved the ball on to their distances so we thought oh look that's how far their drives go so if I blocked it you have to keep going in a straight line I think we worked it out. It was 30 or 40 yards further than me and DJ was 35 yards longer or whatever it was. So if you hit the middle of the fairway, you just move 30 yards down the fairway. And I've said this before in other podcasts, but when we went, well, hang on, I'm hitting a six iron. He wouldn't be hitting a six iron either. So I have to move it forward again to get now the equivalent D plane approach to this green that he would be hitting. Because where I'm hitting a six, he's probably hitting a seven or an eight. Right. So you don't only win off the tee, you then win again because sure. if you've got 200 yards in, I'm in a hybrid and he's in a seven iron. It's like, ah, you're actually going to move. You win twice. And people often forget that with distance gains. I had distance gains over lockdowns. I swung fast a lot, did press ups and tried to work harder on my body because we had the time. And I noticed it across. It was a double win. My irons went further and my driver went further. So where I gained 10 yards with my driver, I gained half the club with my iron. So I was actually gaining nearly two clubs on approaches over the, you know, over a longer hole. And it's exactly, Tim, your answer. It's the same on your par three. If it's 200 yards, if someone could hit a nine, just imagine having a nine iron, Tim, into a 200 yard par three. It doesn't matter that it's 200 yards. You're going to have the control you've got now, whatever that is, with your nine iron, all things being equal. Because again, like, Lou says, if you're in that nine iron, literally out of your boots to get it 200 yards, then there will be more variables. Yeah, um, you know, you brought up a really good point. And our buddy, Mike Carroll, uh, Fit for Golf, uh, I'm sure everybody listening knows Mike. He recently yeah. posted the other day about distance gains. And it's not just with the driver, it's it's through the bag and it makes a big difference. And, and so, you know, for, for those of us in cold weather right now, I'm here in the Northeast, we have a few months left of cold weather. Um, it's a good time to, to think about a distance program um, and yeah. think about uh, a fitness program if you're not doing any of those things. And it, even just three or four months of prep before the golf season, really good prep of either, you know, using stack system or super speed, which are both great. Uh, and Mike's uh, fit for golf program. If you do that for three or four months, you will be shocked at how much distance you will gain. If you're currently doing nothing. Um, it's amazing yeah. how much distance you can gain. Uh, I have number of friends that have gone through speed training and fitness training, and it's not uncommon to see 20 to 30 yards longer with the driver and a club longer through the bag. So it's well worth your investment in time if you want to get better. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I always think it's interesting. We're fruit. We're just coming out slightly of release mayhem. Every manufacturer releasing every new product. People talking about them. I post my reviews. People talking saying that one's better than this one. And sometimes I post a, in a review. I post a like I say, look, this club's going. It's good. It's just it's not great. It's just going the same as other club. Look, here's my club, and look, it's about the same. And then people go. Yeah, but that club's fit for you. That's why that club's better. Um, they're, A, they're both fit for me. And B, what I always think is interesting, the whole point was to show you that they're the same, not that one was better. <laughs> You've just said one's better. <laughs> my point here, my point here is I shifted the needle on any distance for myself through trying to improve myself body-wise. Students I see increase and shift the needle and increase distance from real simple delivery fixes. Yeah release season everyone's going mad about the new products where we see no gains we've had usga chief product tester come on our pod and in the first sentence almost said gold product has not moved it will not move it's stuck it won't go anywhere um yet i still having people it shows you how well the marketers are doing doesn't it that people are still not looking at themselves and they're looking into that thing there i'm holding my wallet up to lose sure. they're looking in there for the answer to buy a shiny thing i just always find that quite amazing really but there you go um, I, no, I have one, no i have one on. brief thing distance on. related that I, I just wanted to touch on and and, and bring up uh, so i put a lot of time and effort into getting longer and and i and i've gotten a, added a lot of distance <clears throat> the last several months i've been working extremely hard at making some swing changes and the thing that i noticed that's interesting is as I'm going through and making all the changes that I'm, that I'm making, um, I've lost speed. Um, and it's very challenging for me at the moment to, to keep the same motions I'm trying to keep and do it at speed. Um, yeah, yeah. And it, and it, and it's, um, it's been honestly a little frustrating at times. Like I'll put a driver in my hand and, and, you know, prior to starting these changes, I could go out and, you know, easily cruise at 111 to 114, depending on the day. And, and, yeah. you know, now I'm struggling, even when really trying to go at it with these changes, I'm struggling to get it above like 105 right now. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's um, interesting. I know it's going to come back, but it, it's, um, um, making these changes has been has been interesting as far as how much it's impacted my speed. So I'm curious your thoughts uh, from a coach perspective there. Well, I did talk to you about that as in yeah. the way. So basically what you do to put force and energy through your club to get that club moving, the way you interpret speed doesn't interpret the club as delivering at very sensible reoccurring angles. So unfortunately, the what you the way you relate to speed doesn't relate to delivering the club in a nice neat pattern to allow you hit the ball straight. So what you're going to have to do is train to hit the ball with these different patterns and then try and put the speed back in. And it, it's there. It's oh, in yeah, you. yeah. You've just got to refine. You, yep. you, your vertical jump hasn't got smaller. You no, are, you're no. not doing less press-ups. You're not running 100 metres slower. Right. You're still the same person. Sure. It's just your brain. So I used to see it loads. You've got – I'd get – this is always a great draw I used to do with students. So students who would – 
stand the club up on the way down. So get quite a vertical looking shaft on the way down and then a high handle delivery. If people can picture that idea on the downswing, real common problem with people who are trying to hit the ball really hard and not speed as well. I'd say it's 50, 50 almost, but that's a different point. I would get them to, I would say, see that flag out there at 50 yards. They'd say, yeah, I'd say hit a driver 50 yards. And they'd look at me like, what, you want me to miss it? No, no. So do like a chip, you know, do like a pitch swing with a driver. They don't stand the driver up now because they're not trying to put the force for it. So what happens is the club just drops behind them. It slowly falls out in front of them and they hit this lovely little straight pitch. that just falls out the air because obviously there's not enough loft. And you get them to build up from there back out and then they start to see, oh, yeah. So as soon as I start to really pull on that club and push it, that's when they want to start standing it up where you get them just to hit these really little pitch shots with a driver. They do these lovely little rounded actions and delivery was zero and face was like tolerance of two degrees open or closed where before we had a tolerance of like eight degrees open or closed, you know? Right. So they were like, yeah. you know, 16 variants from the middle. It was like literally houses on the right and houses on the left at speed. You were, in, in the evening, we can see the ball going off. They were hitting shots and you were literally praying they didn't hit an house on the range I used to teach at. Um, and that's why I started getting them to hit these, these little 50-yard pitches because I just like, you just got to stop hitting that house for like 10 minutes because they're <laughs> going to close us down. <laughs> and, and I thought it really worked. So as soon as yeah. you took their ideas of putting force through the club, they started to get better angles and then you work out how to get the force back through different ways. So what happens if we do a bigger shoulder turn and you do that? What happens if we push in the ground harder and out, but you still feel that it's almost like their angles of their hands and wrists want to force the club yeah. another way. And, and it's a, it's a really anecdotal this, but the pattern I used to see, it was really common with tradesmen. I've said this before. So people who had strong arms, bodies worked with tools, like they were physically, they might have had a belly on them because they like a bit of a beer, but they were, they'd act to shake your hand and it was like, cool, he's got some grip on them. And you could see them literally like yanking on the club and it would yeah. stand it up so often. Getting them to try and feel that the body came, the power came from maybe spinning faster rather than yanking on it harder. Yeah. It was tricky, but you would get them to do it. But yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me you're saying what you're saying. It will come back. You just got to hit the ball more in play. By the, by the time we start, by the time you and I uh, do some filming later this year, I need to be back to where I was. I, I can't have you out driving <laughs> me when we play. Because oh, you will so never good. let me live it down. I won't. I no. won't. That will be social media every day. You'll be waking <laughs> up to that tweet. Yeah. Exactly. picture of me waving back at lou, uh -huh. hey, lou yes you come through lou you better move up some tea for our next hour <laughs> yeah perfect um right last question i think you've got the last question of you i do yeah this is from uh john livingston uh thanks for the question john uh, he, john writes what are your thoughts on the cheaper launch monitors and he lists uh, mevo rhapsodo garmin etc I don't have anywhere to set it up at home, so would only be able to use it at the range with range balls. And then the last thing he asks here is, um, well, you know, also I feel silly being so bad and setting up a launch monitor at the range. Um, so That's a fair point. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. So I'll, I'll start on that. I, my only yeah. experience with launch monitors 
Uh, I've owned a SkyTrack and and now and I had a SkyTrack for many years and I really liked it. Uh, SkyTrack is is great for indoors. Um, I don't know that it would do well outdoors at all, uh, but it's great for indoors. And then my new Bushnell, um, the Launch Pro, uh, which is the same unit as a, as a Foresight GC3, that's amazing, uh, and that does great outdoors. Um, I've heard great things uh, about uh, about Mevo. Um, I don't know much about the other ones. Um, I'm going to see what what you know what experience you might have with some of those, Mark. Yeah, so I've got students who have got things like Mevo and stuff and Skytracks, and they're fantastic for me setting them little goals to try and achieve. So I get, I say, I want you to hit X amount of this club, X amount of that club, X amount of this club. They send me the data. I look for patterns. I then would say, right, I want you to hit a 150 shot and at the moment you're in a seven iron say but i want you to hit a soft six because you're not hitting many greens and you're coming up short lots so are you better hitting a hard eight 150 or are you going to hit more greens if you hit a soft six and i can send them off to task that out they can go and hit in a week batches of shots and see if we see any different patterns and if we do then they take it to the course and see if it plays through so they're fantastic for collecting data but it often worries me, and I've seen it time and time again, not to say that home launch monitors aren't good, because I think they are great. I see amateurs using data so poorly because they don't fully understand how to interpret the numbers that they see, that I see them going round and round in circles. And then I actually think, oh, is this actually helping them? So me having to look at their data or a coach, it doesn't have to be me, you know, a coach, that's the real benefit for lots of people. I mean, Lou, you're an outlier because you understand data better than anybody else and you've practiced tasks and things yourself and what have you. Um, but for the majority of your average golfer who would be confronted with many different numbers, you get them focusing. Often you see them focusing on numbers that you just think oh, that just doesn't, that's not showing anything. Like, for example, they'll look at an average. Oh, look, I average a seven I in it. 155 yards yeah but you know your left and right, right standard deviation was 20 and your short and long was 15 meaning you went in many greens yes your average is fine but only well sometimes no shots hit your average because that's how right. averages work right. um you know so i think they're great i, I think the big problem you're going to have with radar, so he's talking about radar there, so something that sits behind and that will try and track the ball so I think this, I've always said this about radar and this isn't an advert for camera base or radar because radar is brilliant too. And it has its place as well as so GC quad that I use as a camera based system. And then using algorithms, he's a little bit of like track man is your ultimate radar. If you like sits behind and it's tracking the ball away when you're tracking a projectile, if the projectile has variance to it, then the data is going to be very dodgy because it then might not reflect what you're doing. Take this from someone who used to work at a range where we use some of the worst range balls you'll ever find because of these houses I've mentioned earlier. We had to use really heavy <laughs> golf balls that would yeah. pull out the air quicker because um, the end of our range was only like 220 yards. So people were full ball. They could chuck it out of the range. Um and you would get some funny readings off radar. And I started to learn the patterns. because I just saw shot after shot after shot. And I would just say, oh, look, that's not a true read. That's 
reading a dodgy projectile because that's what radar is doing. It, it's measuring a projectile. Next thing you're going to struggle with possibly at ranges is the roof of the range. So if you think about you've got a machine sat behind you, you hit a nine iron, it'll go up and it goes out of view. Radar can't, it's, it's go the roof, it goes out of view. Right. Basically. Yeah. And then you start getting funny readings. Subjects. Sure. Because so, you can't control the environment. The people who have home launch monitors that I found the benefit from, they're generally doing it in their home net. They've just whacked up a net or they're hitting even into a blanket in their garden off a tiny little mat they've bought off, whatever. Um, so yeah, I think they're brilliant. I think people can get the numbers confused, making sure you, if you're good at understanding data, great. Lots of us aren't like I've had to really work hard to understand data. I'm a maths idiot. Um, so I, you know, I have to work much. I'm, I'm basically hitting a driver from 150 and lose chipping a sandwich when it comes to maths and looking at data. So basically sometimes we hit it the same distance, but I'm working so much harder than he is to get it there. You know, and you um, bring up a really, really interesting point is I think one of the benefits of these tools are um, you, th there's a lot of great teachers out there that don't live near you. And yeah. when you have a launch monitor, like the teacher that I'm, I'm working with currently, I send him all of my data from my Bushnell and he doesn't even have to see me, but he can look at, you know, whatever club I'm hitting, he can look at my launch angle, my, my backspin, my angle of attack, uh, the yeah. horizontal launch angle, uh, the smash factor. Uh, and he can see over a session, how I'm how I'm swinging the club. There's so much information there that tells you so much as a teacher. So it opens up a lot of interesting doors to being able to work with somebody that's not near you. There's a lot of really good online teachers these totally. days. And if you have tools like that, or, you know, I've sent him information from, I have hack motion wrist sensors, which are phenomenal. I sent him yeah. that information and that's extremely valuable to a coach. I have, I don't have the pressure plates like you do the swing cat catalyst pressure plates, but I have um, salted golf insoles yeah. And they're insoles you put into your sneakers and you attach them via Bluetooth to your phone and you can see the pressure on your feet as you swing. Um, are they a substitute for a high-end swing catalyst? Absolutely not, but they do a great job. And I've also you know, given uh, my instructor that information as well. And so having tools like a launch monitor and some of these other things, which are you know, they're very, they're, they're achievable. They're, they're at an achievable price point for a lot of people. Um, it opens up a lot of opportunities to, to work with somebody. And the other thing you mentioned that I think is really important is, is the data and being able to, and I don't just mean from a math perspective, being able to understand the data, but there's far too many people that have launch monitors and they're, they're looking at a lot of the wrong things. They're, they're looking at, you know, how close did I hit it? All right, well, I'm, I'm, doing, yeah. a, I'm doing a wedge combine and all I'm doing is, is hitting the ball to, you know, as close as I can. And I, great, I just hit this 100-yard wedge to 12 feet. That's awesome. It's a great swing. Um, and maybe that wedge, which was, I don't know, we'll say it was a 56-degree wedge. Maybe you're launching all your 56-degree wedges at, you know, 34 degrees. Um, as a coach, Mark is going to say, that's probably not ideal. Um, and, and, and there's so much information in there 
that if you do have a launch monitor like that, get the help of a coach, get somebody to work with you on that data. So at least moving forward, you understand what it is you're looking at and what you should be focused on. And too many people are just um, using those tools to see how close they hit it to a target. And there's so much more value beyond doing only that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so, I mean, I think they're really good. And I think the growth of home launch monitors is only going to just keep going and snowballing, which is is exciting. Totally agree with you there, Lou. I mean, the students I've worked with with home launch monitors, I actually think it's a better way of teaching to a certain yeah, extent. Really? Because Interesting. I, well, because I don't have to watch them at 30 shots, which is boring. I don't want to watch you at 30 shots. I want to you to hit 30 shots. And then I want to say, I can video... <laughs> one swing take a pressure plate reading and i've got everything i need like your swing isn't going right. to visually on 2d camera change in those 30 shots to you know, any degree right. um and i can take a pressure reading at the start one in the middle and one at the end and generally one at the start one at the end and if they're crossing over i'm happy um but I don't want to watch you at 30 shots. And what happens in a lesson? Like, and I do serious lessons. You know, I'm doing like a whole morning. I'm not doing half hour lessons. That rubbish. I've dropped that years ago because you just can't do anything in it. Um, but still in that time, I just think we're barely scratching the surface. Of, and there's so much of the time where I just think, I want you now to go away and practice that. Like, I don't, we don't know if that's going to work. You now need to go and see if it works. I right. don't need to come with you. I want you then to come back and report back. So I actually think there's some real positives because I can task you to it 30 shots over five days, you know, so I want 30 times five shots on a certain task to get a good data set across two different skills. Why do I want to stand there watching you do that? I don't need to do that. Golf co- sure. The days of golf coaching with your hands in your pocket, a cigar, you know, a funny hat and stood there cross-legged while, you know, with your legs apart behind the golfer, like nodding at shots. Like I saw well, that on the do... range last year. I saw that yeah, on the range. You... There was a, a teacher, there was a, someone, uh, you know, taking a lesson uh, a couple of spots down from me. And there was a teacher be, behind the student and the student would make a swing and the teacher would say, yeah, that one went a little left. The student <laughs> would hit the next one. And the teacher would say, <laughs> That one went a little bit right. And then <laughs> the student would hit the next one and the teacher would say, that was a little low on the face. And I'm listening yeah. to this and I'm actually thinking this is, there's gotta be a, like, this is a hidden video show or so. I'm on hidden camera right now. This yeah, has gotta yeah. be a joke. This can't be a real lesson. This is not real life. This is not how a lesson should be. And yeah. for 45 minutes, that's all the teacher did. The student would hit a shot and the teacher would tell him exactly what just happened. And I just listened to this going, Oh, this poor guy. Well, I, I not- remember hearing myself when I was teaching ridiculous amounts. And I remember hearing myself saying things like you know they'd hit a shot and it doesn't go where you, they want it to go well not quite try a bit more they hit a shot not quite try a bit more they do one and they hit a good shot and i would say yeah there that that was better and i used to just think what was better like that one shot was better and i would hear myself saying this and i would go home and think i'm just not happy like this is just I'm I'm not really showing the worth that I think I can show people here, and that's when 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 measuring devices came along. I was really early in the uptake of it, probably one of the earliest in the UK and not far off in the world of having launch monitors. 
because of where I worked and an old colleague of mine who was way ahead of the game more than I ever was um, and getting my own launch monitor it was certainly very early in my career compared to certainly anyone around me it was beyond exciting I to be able to quantify things yeah. that I was seeing and not with numbers and relatively accurate data which is like i say relatively accurate they're pretty accurate launch monitors there's always going to be an element of them. right it's a it's a fast moving tiny incident of impact it's very hard to measure and then keep the measuring device under a hundred thousand pounds kind of stuff right you know right. they make them 20 15 grand which is a lot of money but that's not actually enough if you wanted it to be like the most accurate, but it's, it's good enough at that price yeah. for you to start seeing the patterns for sure. when it's playing up and when the you know, reads are good and bad. And that kind I of think thing. that's been the, uh, one of the most important parts of my journey as I make a whole series of swing changes this, this winter is tracking and monitoring everything that I've done and trending that out. And there's a number of key things that I look at. There's a number of, um, I'll call them uh, like benchmarks sessions that I go through um, yeah. just to go through and hit a series of shots, record every one of them. And that session is something that I'm trending over time. And, I, and I'm doing that at certain intervals. And when I first started, it, and there's a number of things I focus on from the launch angle, both vertical and horizontal, the angle of attack. Uh, the spin, the smash factor, um, the club path, um, and not only, you know, it, hitting certain numbers with those, but being consistent around those numbers um, yeah. and seeing how that changed over time as I did these was was really fascinating when I started some of some of these and some of the changes I was working on, like I would put a 60 degree wedge in my hand and I was trying to keep launch under 30 degrees. It was one of the things I was working through. Um, and when I first started, I thought it would, I'd never get there. Uh, you know, I'm launching my 60 for, for a 50 yard shot. Um, I'm launching it at 34, 35, somewhere in that range and trying to get and bring that down thought it would never happen. And then slowly working through all the things I was working on. And when I, when I, I take all that data from my launch monitor, put it into this thing that allows me to analyze it. And when I put a, a graph up there, a plot up there that shows me how all of these numbers have been trending over time. It's amazing to see the differences. Um, and having all that data, I think in my opinion has been a really big part of the transformation and allows my coach that I'm working with to really give me good feedback and good information without having to be there with me every single lesson. Um, yeah. He gives me things to work on. I send him a bunch of data and then we, we rinse and repeat. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, great question. I think there are some real benefits. You just, I mean, there are a lot of money in it. So if you've got anyone who can help you or got one to try in the, because you've just got to put them in the situation you're going to practice to see if it's going to work. You know, if the balls are rubbish, you're going to get funny data because it's not seeing the club, it's tracking the ball, and then it's going to work out what the club did. And if you've got balls that are deviating to slice um, spins, but you're not putting slice on, it's going to tell you your path was open, uh, face was open to a path and when it wasn't. So if you can with any of those things, if you can get a unit or know someone and you get it in a situation or close to your situation, would be good. I don't know what the returns policy or anything like these on these units are. So if there is returns policies, don't be afraid to use them because I've 
we've used loads of launch monitors over the years and I've always been excited by consumer launch monitors. And I used to get sent loads when it was early YouTube days. Can you, there was a free bay system, something you put in your club and it told you what your club did. You ever remember that device? It like, told, and it was just awful because we had <laughs> Trapman, So I could yeah. compare it to industry standards right. and where the effort of it was great. The practice of it. I used to just think this is giving worse information. I'd rather my students not have this information than think their face is eight degrees open, you know, when it blatantly isn't. Um, so yeah, they're great, but working with a coach, definitely making sure it works in your environment for you as well is, is going to be key. Yeah. There we go. Absolutely. Good questions, Lou. Didn't we do well tonight? We had one fallout, but apart from that, we did well, didn't we? We did. Uh, we did. We kept it together. Um, and uh, Greg thank will be you. proud of us. Do you reckon Greg he listens to the ones he's not in? we should put should we test let's see let no one tell greg anything greg if you've listened to this you will tweet the word um lou and mark are the best at podcasting ever and it's such an honor for me to podcast with them you'll yeah. post that in a tweet greg so if no one posts that or say anything to greg let's see if that tweet comes and we'll know if he's listened or not you like we'll what I've know. done there? We'll know. Well, even if he doesn't, I still wish him the best of luck. At uh, <laughs> I hope by the time this podcast comes out, he will be the 2022 AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am champion. Think that about be, it. Wouldn't that be, that be awesome. amazing? Be, he'd have some big decisions at that point to make. Does he, does he, cause then he would, he would get status back. Um, and he'd have to decide if he wants to continue playing golf or if he wants to get a little more serious about podcasting. Um, and we'll, we'll see what direction he's going to go in here. Um, who knows? Who knows? Remains to be seen. <laughs> Good stuff. As always, fun, Lou. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for everybody's questions. And like we said, yes. there were some really good ones that we saw more as full episodes. So don't be surprised if your question pops up in a full episode rather than lots of little ones like we did there. But as always, thanks for the follows and support. And uh, thank you for listening. And we'll look forward to chatting to you in the next podcast.